Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the All Might Be Edified Discussions on Servant Leadership. I'm Keith Pankow, and I'm so excited to be here with Christine Kresge, and she is the Director of Curriculum and Instruction for the Montrose Area School District, where she is responsible for K-12 curriculum, federal programs, and grant writing. Prior to her nine years as Curriculum Director, Christine was a middle school reading specialist, a fourth grade teacher, and a seventh grade teacher. She also spent time as a social worker working in therapeutic capacity with children diagnosed with behavior disorders. Christine holds a bachelor's degree in social work, a master of art and teaching degree, a principal K-12 certificate, and a reading specialist certificate. She is currently a second-year student at the University of Miami, where she is pursuing her doctorate in applied learning sciences. Well, welcome, Christine. So excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you, Keith. I'm so excited to be here. Well, me and Christine and Abraham and Alex was with us for quite a while. We've been working on our doctorate together and really doing a lot of research together in exploring some points, uh, looking specifically at some things at the Montrose Area School District. And so I want to, first of all, thank the Montrose Area School District for allowing us to look at some things that are helping their school district become even better and grow and help those students there use the tools available to them and the teachers there to continue to get better and They've just been such a wonderful school district to work with. So I think I just wanted to start by thanking them because it's been a wonderful opportunity to see servant leadership in action as, as we grow and work with them. And one of the things as we've worked on our project and our different research over the last year, we started even before that as we looked at some different courses before we formalized our research. And one of those courses, we looked at what it takes to build a learning organization and develop a learning organization and what that even means to have a learning organization. And we looked at the administrators in the Montrose Area School District, and I think all of us were realized that we didn't realize what a learning organization was. <laughs> and it, it gave us pause to think about that a little bit. And I learned a ton about my own philosophies about a learning organization. And I know Christine has shared some thoughts with me in the past. And so I just opened up by asking Christine, what did that experience teach you about your own philosophies about a learning organization? And, and what did you discover along that path? Well, I think the process of evaluating, you know, the organization in which I operate every day gave me the ability to reflect on how much I didn't know and how much it means to have a shared definition of what a learning organization means and all of the facets that it takes to create a true learning organization while things come at us in the field of education, you know, at 100 miles an hour every day, things are changing and mandates and regulations and requirements. And then it's trying to build capacity to make sure we're focusing on doing what's best for kids and creating a healthy environment for teachers and students. So I think it gave me the ability to pause and reflect on how big of a task it is to create a true learning organization and do it well. And it's a process, definitely a process. I appreciate that answer. And what I really was so grateful for is the honesty in all the administrators there working. They were really, they you could tell they wholeheartedly wanted to be a learning organization. And I think it was interesting because we're dealing with a school district, which is wholly focused in learning, developing learning, teaching, you know, building students and really the whole 
business of learning, facilitating learning. And so it, it might be counterintuitive for the listener to think, you know, what are we talking about a learning organization for when we're talking about a school district, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I had some of these questions going into this as well, too. And so it might be helpful that we're talking about the teachers and the administrators a little bit differently. We're talking about them as the learners, not as the professional teachers in this point, because we're looking at them for their professional development, what they're doing to continue to grow and learn in their art and their profession of being teachers and even as the professional administrators in this capacity. And the administrators were so honest and excited about growing and wanting to be a learning organization, but almost all of them admitted the same thing that they thought they were more of a training organization. And it was interesting to hear that way they differentiated that learning versus training. And I think That was my big takeaway in the program is that there's a huge difference between a learning organization and a training organization. And even as I look back on my experience in the Coast Guard, I think too often I've been associated with a training organization and not a learning organization, meaning we train to respond to the need that's the biggest focus that we have right now, that we're not necessarily growing to adapt to the future needs. We're not trying to evolve and even think about foresight and what's coming in the future. And even, you know, some of our greatest abilities, like in the Coast Guard, for example, search and rescue, those can end up becoming some of our weaknesses because we don't think about how to evolve even greater in the future because we're like, oh, we're already good at that. And so that we just get into that process of just training to meet what we're already good at. And so I think, you know, Christine, as we worked on that, what are some of your thoughts about that learning versus training organizations. I think you're absolutely correct. It's strange to think of a school as a training organization rather than a learning organization, but we sometimes fail to see that we treat the school like a schoolhouse and the the teachers almost like students sometimes (laughs) versus understanding it's a dynamic workplace. And so we have to look at how, you know, we are creating those transformations. And like you said, a lot of times we're putting out fires and, you know, we talk about that single loop learning where we, you know, we almost like address a problem, solve the problem, and now we're on to the next problem. And it takes that capacity to step back and look big picture and say, you know, what do we see coming down the road three years from now? Where do we want to be? And and what do we want to be looking at developing and not just resting on the fact that we do it well today, but how can we do it better tomorrow? The process of that transition has to deal with change. And and I'm just going to speak because my whole experience has been based on the, the culture and education. Change is really hard sometimes where people get so invested in how they've been doing things for many years, it gets hard to get them to get rid of that change anxiety, so to speak, and move into what is known as that survival anxiety, where they really want to know. And knowing the fear of not learning something new is greater than the fear of the unknown. So you want to put yourself out there. And that goes with creating a learning organization. So it's giving people the capacity to not fear change and to embrace it and see it as part of our culture. And so I think for me, it's 
as I've gone through this process with you and, and what that's one of the things that I've learned most from this process is all of the facets that it takes. So I think I have to give credit to my administrative team because I think they were really honest and reflective about the difference between the train, the, the fact that we often live in that training mindset because we are putting out fires and it, our time is so limited to get to that learning organization mindset. And the other thing about the administrative team that I work with is we're pretty new together as a collective. So we in educational leadership, sometimes there's transition that also impacts the focus of your organization because you have new people coming on board with their own visions and definitions. And so, you know, I'm hopeful now we have a really dynamic team of new energetic administrators who, like you said, are really excited to do what's best for kids and they're getting their feet wet in how to lead this organization. And so I think the interviews and the surveys gave them food for thought, but it also speaks to the fact that they want to be that learning organization. So it'll be interesting to see where we are in a few years from now with all the changes. Yeah, I agree. I think that was super important that they were honest. I think we we're never going to make those that progression, if you know, that change, that fear of change is a real thing and everyone has it. It's a real thing in all of our organizations. And, you know, when we have sometimes a lack of clear communication in our organizations, it's just going to raise the level of that anxiety even more because change is a constant, you know, that common saying, the only thing constant in life is death and taxes. <laughs> and so change is a very real thing. And so when we, when we make it harder to accept change or we raise anxiety in any way whatsoever through a lack of clear communication or facilitating talking with our, our organizations in any way, we just make that even harder to accept. And so that honesty that we had with your administration staff, I just thought was wonderful. And they were very clear about where they were at and why. And they talked about COVID and you know being new, but they also said there's really no good time to implement these things, so they could use COVID as an excuse. But you know they knew they needed to move forward anyway, and so I thought that was great. They recognized some of the obstacles that stood in their path, but they also weren't going to allow those to be a crutch. And so mm -hmm. I, I really I thought that was there were great interviews. I really respected them, and I thought they showed signs of recognizing where they were at, but also showing that they could move forward to become a learning organization. And I think that gave us some ample things to highlight for those listening out there of what it looks like to say, hey, we're not where we want to be to become a learning organization. We're just putting out fires as, as we've been talking about. And we're just kind of we're coming up against each new crisis or, or thing that we have to solve problem or you know, might not even be a real crisis, but just each new problem set. And we're just solving it and moving to the next problem set, if you will. But you know, we want to start to get innovative and, and creative. And what's that look like for our organization? How do we learn to start to evolve to become more forward thinking? And for our organization, what does that really look like? And in our one of our articles that we read that was published in the Harvard Business Review that Christine and I have talked a little bit about by David Garvin, Amy Edmondson, and Francesca Gino. They quoted this. He said, you may find an area of your organization you thought was a strength, but then it com comes actually less robust to them, right? We talked a little bit about that. But one of the things I thought that I just loved that they said is 
they overemphasized the forest and paid little attention to the trees. And me and Christine have talked a lot about this point because, you know, especially as you rise in your organization and even when you're just a middle level manager, people aren't always going to come to you with the problems that they they have for getting the jobs done. Some people will, but not everybody. When you give them a task, they're just going to sometimes find a way to get to it or achieve that task or maybe they won't tell you all the roadblocks to getting that task done unless you've built a way to have honest communications. And that's usually a roadblock to moving from training to learning organization. And so sometimes you're just looking out over the forest and you're not recognizing those individual trees. And so Christine, what advice, what thoughts do you have to the listener out there to help them to stop looking at the forest and start to recognize the trees in their organizations? Oh, that's a, that's a really good question. I think it's immersing yourself in all of the aspects of your organization. So, and, and learning yourself about what makes your organization dynamic and unique and what added value various people contribute to the organization. Because like you said, it gets very easy to sit at an administrative table and think we've nailed it. Like this is the direction we need to take. This is something we need to do and be completely missing the mark. If you talk to teachers, they'll say, oh no, this isn't, that isn't what we need. We need this. And so we're wasting time training and addressing a problem that really doesn't exist. So I think when you look at the big picture, you have to build capacity within your organization to come to a collective agreement. And this is the direction we need to take, but also allow for people to contribute to that, that might be otherwise sometimes not considered as being a part of that process. So, you know, one of the things from our project I learned was the fact that when I spent time with small groups of teachers talking about what they were doing and the struggles they were having. They were very open and honest and communicating. But yet, if I put everybody in a large group, it's very quiet. People aren't apt to share or they might not feel that something they're comfortable doing in front of their peers. So I think in terms of you need to take inventory of where you're at by having honest dialogue in in an environment that is supportive risk-free. And at the end of the day, it all goes back to relationships. It's building the relationships so that you are able to have those conversations in an honest way that allows you to go back to that table and look big picture and say, here's the direction I think we need to take. And here's what suggestions have been made to help us to get there and do it well. So you often see a lot of times, you know, even in other districts that I've been involved with, where the administrators sit at the table and make decisions without kind of drilling down to the root cause and analyzing where the, where the situation is at in reality based on the people who are living it. So that would be my advice. Spend time having those conversations. Yeah, I really like that. And you know, just to give a little background on our project, and we'll probably talk a little bit more about it, as we talk about learning organizations versus training organizations, because that's really what recognizing that fact and is one of the things that drove us towards this project is we started to recognize, you know, that 
as we looked into this one project, we started asking some questions that led us to, to do some research, would let us to ask some more questions. And I'm not going to go into all the details, but one of the things we found as we looked at some correlation in whether or not a program was working and leading to the growth that it needed for students is that we started to see that there'd been so many different things put on the requirements for these teachers over the years. And and not just in this school district, this, this pertains to many, many school districts throughout the country, if not all of them. Uh, I definitely can't speak to that as I'm not a professional educator, but it just seems to me that there's been so many changes in requirements for teachers over the years that one of the things that we observed just in this small scale is that with all these changing requirements, it, there's been you know, these teachers have been in training mode and not really catching up because of all these changing requirements. And so we couldn't even find a correlation with the problem set because the training hasn't even kept up with the needs of the teachers because of all these changes in legislation uh, and requirements with all the different needs that have been put on teachers as as political changes have been required and different things as, as everyone comes up with their supposed fix for each problem set in the political arena. And not many of these things have actually helped student outcomes. And so as we looked at this, we started to realize really quickly that we couldn't find an answer for if there was a correlation because there was no actual true implementation of this actual program we were looking at. And so we took a step backwards as in Christine's leadership help with this in her, her school district. And we looked at how could we actually focus on a learning organization and the teachers to build a professional development for the teachers and move more towards a learning organization. And she's had a goal internally, which helped drive this to build better professional development for her teachers as the curriculum coordinator for her school district. And, you know, so we moved in this direction and, and so far we will, we've had some amazing results and we've been doing a lot of research and we're not quite done yet. So we, we only have preliminary, you know, findings, but, so far that everything looks just amazing and we've really enjoyed what we've been doing. We can definitely say that shifting our gears in this direction shows that moving towards a learning environment versus a training environment makes people have a lot more fun in doing what they're doing. And if that's all that we obtained, you know, I think that's worth kind of shifting gears. And there's been a lot more tangible evidence than just that. But that that alone, I think, is worth us talking about it. And there's a few building blocks to building a learning organization. I'm just going to start on first one to talk a little bit with Christine. And the first one is supportive learning environment. And that's the first, it's, that's important. I don't think we need to move past that too much. A supportive learning environment is really the foundation. And there's four steps to that. It, uh, psychological safety, appreciation of differences, openness to new ideas, and time for reflection. I throw those at Christine to talk about, you know, why are those so important to the foundation to creating a learning organization? Well. I think you can't have any, if you don't have a supportive learning environment, you really can't get very far with anything else, right? So, and it always goes back to relationships. I mean, anything you, you read about in learning and uh, leadership, it's all about building relationships because that's where the magic happens, right? So when we look at even our own analysis of as, as our own district took that you know, audit and we reflected on our own practices, I think one of the things we do well here is create a supportive learning environment because it's about appreciating the fact that not everybody comes to the table having the same vision of 
what good looks like or definitions of, I mean, we saw that even among the results of our own audit as an admin team, we all had different definitions of what it meant to be a learning organization. And it's appreciating those differences and setting aside your own biases and your own way of thinking to hear what people say and feel safe in, in knowing like there's not going to be anything you know, punitive when you say, well, I kind of agree to disagree on it. It's okay. And it adds value to the conversation and the organization. And being open to new ideas is how you grow. I mean, that if you're not open to new ideas, you're as stagnant as it gets, right? So you need to make sure you're facilitating those conversations. Because a lot of times, you know, I could be as the curriculum director, someone who says, well, if it doesn't come from me, we're not doing it. But do you know how many ideas I get from teachers who say, hey, I found this website and it was really cool and I went on and I tried it and I think this could make a difference. And that doesn't mean I'm doing it, but it means I value what they're saying enough to take the time to look at what they're saying is great. And there have been many things that we have implemented as a result of teacher input, just saying, hey, I found this. I think this is a great idea or I read about this. So that's where when you create that psychological safety and almost, you know, putting it out there that that's what you value most is people's willingness to feel safe in your presence and say what they want to say, even when it's not what you want to hear. You know, there are times things need to be said and it's like, okay, I need to take inventory on what you're saying and take that seriously. And maybe that's something that is not putting a feather in my cap, but is like really something that's for me, not, (laughs) how do I want to say it's not positive in my world of what I want to see happening or hear, but I need to take it seriously and address it. And they need to feel safe enough to say that too. So without the supportive learning environment, realistically, I don't know how you become a learning organization. Yeah. I'm so glad that you touched on that. And you know, as an unbiased party who participated in that audit and helped support it, I think, you know, one of the things that administrative team was doing really well is they had created and fostered an environment of psychological safety. That was one of the things that we observed and noted and wrote up in our report. And because of that, we were able to transition very quickly to some other stages as we moved in our project to move forward. And that mm-hmm. was a, that's what allowed us to move forward at the speed that we did to do other things. And I really appreciated that. But what I want to note here for all of you listening is that, you know, we're talking about servant leadership and we could have the best, most amazing servant leaders. But even with creating that environment of psychological safety, what I've noticed as we talk about this learning organization versus training organization, when we don't spend the time to create the framework to allow people to grow and be innovative and creative and really grow and evolve, you know, they can stagnate. Because like it says there, the, their best attributes, their best ideas, the best things we have in our organization, the world is constantly evolving and changing. And if we're not learning and growing as an organization, we're going to fall behind in some area because that's the way the world is. And that's what we saw with what was going on with teachers is because of the constant change and how rapidly political legislation was being thrown out there. These teachers were being overburdened with so much constant change that a lack of resources and a lack of time was leading. It's leading to burnout and fatigue in our teachers throughout the nation. And 
that's one of the many reasons that we have a teacher shortage in many of our states throughout the country is because we are burning our teachers out because we're not building the framework to allow them the support they need to actually focus on the students. We're not building the learning organizations. And that's just one example. I think if you were to stop, pause this episode and spend some time reflecting on your organization, I think you could probably think of many instances right now where you'd be more of a training organization and some of the fatigue and burnout that you'd have in some of your members would be some of the same principles that we're talking about. And so, Christine, as you think about that, you know, the next building block of a learning organization is to build concrete learning processes and practices. And that's really what we did with the professional development. So what did you learn as you stepped up and were part of that process to build this professional development to build concrete learning processes and practices? And how has that changed your thought process about what you do there at the Montrose Area School District? So when we set off on our adventure to create this project and implement these modules for professional development, I really didn't know what to expect. I mean, I'll be honest, it was one of those things where, you know, you're putting yourself out there because as an administrator, I really wanted it to work because it would benefit the teachers and the students. And so I think one of the key elements was for me in the concrete processes and practices is honestly identifying the question of how do I know I'm successful? How did we as a group of you know, doctoral students know that what we have created has made an impact and how are we going to measure and define success? And I think that's a lot of times that's often missing when you set out to, you know, implement training or different objectives or programs. You often don't have a system built to measure success. You put it out there and you hope it works. And I think that was the biggest learning piece for me was having the data to support what people said about it after the fact, which was very unique as an administrator and something I have never as, you know, I'm 22 years in this business. I've never even had that happen as a teacher where, you know, I was surveyed before the professional development was created, the professional development was created. And then we were followed up with an exit survey to find out what worked, what didn't, and what needs do you still have? And I think that that, in terms of concrete learning processes and practices, is was the biggest learning experience for me because I, I think I don't think I realized the importance of that until I actually went through the process myself. And so we're now at that phase where we're looking at the data we've collected and we're, we're learning from it. And guess what? Now, when I go to do another professional development, I'm going to use what I learned to make what I do the next time even more meaningful. And so it gets into that process where the learning processes that involve generation, collection, interpretation, and dissemination of information it's knowledge shared in clear and systematic ways, which I think we were able to harness through our modules and creating an online platform for our teachers, which was so new for me to do, to create an online tool that teachers could access at any time. They could work with their colleagues in a community of practice. Teachers love working together. We tapped into that. And then 
we were able to measure its effect. So when we look at what is concrete learning processes and practices, I think we took that very seriously in how we designed our product to make sure that it was acknowledging what it takes to meet that building block because it's so important. Yeah. So wonderful what you said there. And I try not to steal the spotlight from my guests, but I, you know, I, since I've been watching this process play out, I think there's just so much that maybe some of your teachers will listen to this podcast episode and they haven't seen behind the scenes. And I, so I want to give some, a little bit of thought there. And uh, Christine's just been amazing kind of championing this cause. You know, we've been very fortunate to have a group of just some amazing people that are true servant leaders on our team that are really just dedicated to wanting to help the teachers, wanting to help the students, wanting to not just get a doctorate degree, but want to take a program that they can then it can help other school districts. And we're already talking about moving it to other school districts if if we can make it that good and we want to make it that good. And you know, Abraham, who's been a previous guest on this podcast, is really just you know, a wizard at creating this online development training programs. And he's really just been doing some amazing stuff to get it user-friendly for people that aren't, regardless of their skill set with online training, to make it just very user-friendly. Alex, who's got a ton of years in education, is, you know, has continued to provide input. And so she's been really helpful. And Christine, obviously, with with her access and her dedication to the school district and connection throughout education. And so, you know, sometimes I feel like the weak link here on the team, but they they've been gracious enough to let me tag along and participate. And so it's been just a phenomenal experience. But, you know, the the administrators have constantly given us feedback. They we told them we needed their buy-in. We needed them to support this to a greater degree than they'd ever supported anything before. They stepped up. They supported it. You know, Christine set up extra training with the the program development team. So we, as a team, even though it wasn't in our purview or even necessary, we went and attended extra training so that we could speak the language to the teachers. We did all these extra things to make sure. And then her teachers and faculty and training specialists and computer specialists, they came to extra things and we've had offsite discussions and collaboration and really just learning how we could refine and make better and work together. And the one thing I think I'd capitalize on making sure these concrete learning processes work together is that all of us that have worked together on this, we all have way different skill sets. And I think that's what's mm-hmm. really make this team work together so well as we all see the world very differently. And so we're all asking different questions at different times and we're poking holes in the process. And that psychological safety has been very evident because we just trust each other that we want it to be better. And so we accept the questions as just that. How are we going to make it better? And so we're just asking those questions to make sure that nothing's going to fail for someone else down the road. And so you know, Christine, she said some wonderful things, but I don't think she gave it enough credit at all and all the hard work she's done. So I wanted her teachers to hear that. And I know they've been big supporters of that. I think she's only had one or two that really haven't caught the complete vision out of a whole, you know, four grade levels that have been exposed to it so far. And so it's been a wonderful experience. And so anything else you want to add to that, Christine? No, I think that the process was eye-opening to me. And I think that, you know, maybe Maybe the lesson learned here is you don't have to do everything all at once when you're in a, you know, when you're trying to establish a way to your organization, I think taking the time to spend focus on one thing 
And just learning from that experience can transcend into so many other different areas of your organization. So yeah, we focused on one topic, one training, and we really did it with depth. And we had subject matter experts contribute to the content. We had the technology integration specialist assist with the technology piece. And I think that we took the time to hone in on one thing and do it really well. But the learning we took from that transcends just this opportunity. And and it even transcends the education profession. I think, you know, you, Keith, working in a completely different environment can take themes from what we took from this project and say, I can apply it in my environment too, because here's what I learned. So I would implore organizations to focus in on something and delve deep into it and take it for as a learning experience so that it teaches you about your organization, what works, what doesn't, and you can grow from it rather than trying to do a whole bunch of things. It makes it so that you can do it, taking those baby steps and focusing in on one thing. I think we get overwhelmed by trying to do everything and put out all those fires where you could still be putting out the fires, but then be focusing it on one topic an aspect of your organization that you hope to improve and see how that teaches you about your organization as a whole. Yeah. Thanks for that, Christine. You know, I don't, I don't talk about myself a lot on the podcast, but I'm a, my current role is a deputy branch chief. So I have a pretty significant leadership role. And I think um, I only bring that up because I, I talk to my team in a staff meeting every week, every Tuesday, we have a staff meeting, a, a huddle up. That's just our process to get together, find out what's working for everybody, what everybody's important to everybody. We like to check in and find out what's going on. It's a very informal, very fun. And, and you know, oftentimes we bring up stuff from the project that I'm working on with the team. And so I've learned a ton. And I think my team actually likes to hear more about the project than they like to hear more about whatever I'm, whatever I've got going on with work. So they've become very invested in the actual school project just as much as everybody else. So they're, they're very excited about it. They love hearing about it. And there's, a lot of cross application that's happened. And so you're absolutely right. There's a ton that can be taken from every organization because these concepts, they're all about learning organizations that are just multifaceted. And that last building block, I think, has been exhibited by Christine and her administrative staff is leadership that reinforces learning. And that's super important. And then the last thing that we're going to touch on today is what we've really used to implement our our project here are communities of practice. And, you know, in the education world, they're very familiar with communities of practice. We've, we've noticed that there's some things about communities of practice that aren't widely understood as we've implemented these. And there's some myths, but even outside the education world, the communities of practice are being implemented and they've been implemented in various degrees, but they're not widely understood. And there's been various definitions that aren't very true to what a community of practice is really about. And so I wanted to give Christine an opportunity to talk about what she feels is so important about a community of practice and why it really enhances our ability to create a learning organization. So I think when we look at, as we go over the results of our surveys, one of the things we did embed into our survey was asking teachers about how they liked working together. And overwhelmingly, they felt that was a significant aspect of the process in which I think we sometimes, when we get into the, you know, the training organization mode, it's like, you know, we're throwing information at people and we're hoping it sticks and, you know, we're moving on and, 
And the whole idea of a community of practice is in the one article it mentioned, it's a living curriculum. And it is because they're creating an identity together and with a shared interest, right? So, you know, we had our teachers work at, at the grade levels on the training modules. And when we look at the survey results, working collaboratively was a huge factor in how they felt about the, the process itself in terms of a positive attribute of what we had them do. And it's about, again, it goes back to relationships. When teachers are working together, you know, they're together all the time. So whether it's teachers or colleagues in, a, in an office or whatever, it's carving out that time for them to stop and focus on uh, interest or a topic and collaborate and communicate, share ideas and learn together. And when we say it's a community of practice, we have to consider that they are all practitioners. They are all teachers teaching children, dealing with the same issues in terms of, you know, we, we have all these topics in terms of like mental health coming up, state test scores, all these things that impact them on the day to day. And they could share resources, they can share practices together. And it's really about creating that culture where you break down the barriers of feeling reserved about sharing your weaknesses. And it's and to me, I think when we look at, you know, we were training them on one tool that we use in the district and one curriculum resource and their ability to take, you know, just that concrete learning experience and transcend it into topics such as student motivation, extrinsic motivation, intrinsic motivation. How do I get my kids to care? You know, those are things that are not you know, focused on the tool we're using, but it's focused on big picture ideas that impact every facet of a student's day. And so how the community of practice empowers teachers as practitioners to build strength in their community. And I think that it was interesting to see how we took training teachers how to use a tool effectively and embedding the need for giving them time to work collaboratively as that community enhanced all of the learning about the tool and made it even better. So, you know, the takeaway for me is it's, it has to be job embedded. It has to give teachers or whatever group you're working with time to share their ideas share their weaknesses, share their strengths, and create a community of practitioners where they come together to, to learn and get better than they were the day before. And so of all the things we've done, you know, I will always go back to making sure we <laughs> pivot back to it's all about relationships, hands down. Yeah, I totally agree. I love that thought. I was I've been thinking a lot about this idea. I've just learned so much working on this project. I've loved every bit of it. I just developed a passion for it. I've, uh, Christine and I have talked a lot about how we can even take this further. And we've both have just, I think, really enjoyed it. And, you know, with Abraham and Alex, our team has just grown closer and closer together. And we just, we have weekly meetings for, for some time now. And it's just been 
you know, I don't, I can't speak for everybody, but it's been the highlight of my week as we go through this whole doctoral program, which as, as anyone can imagine that's worked on a doctorate, it, it's very stressful program, but that is, that's the therapeutic session is when we meet together and we talk and we work on our stuff. So it's been great, but you know, that is our community of practice, I would say. And one of the things I'll highlight is, you know, it can, Christine mentioned it. It's not about the tool when you get into the community of practice. It's about building that community of practitioners. And that's so important because that's where the real learning happens. We've learned over and over again in our program that the real learning occurs for individuals from the next nearest novice. And so often we put people in front of a panel of experts or in front of an expert giving a presentation. That's not where the real learning really truly occurs. That's where a conveying of information occurs. The real learning happens after when people talk about it, when they talk about what they learn, when they get an opportunity to share and transform that information into their own shared experiences and knowledges with each other with the next nearest novice. And that's the community of practice in action. And that's so important. And we don't do that nearly enough. If you think about diversity equity and inclusion principles and all those different things and how often they it just doesn't feel like they're moving along in your organization. I would ask you, do you have anything moving them along or do you just do once a year training or entry level training? You know, in the Coast Guard, we have this an LDAC community, a leadership diversity advisory committee. And it's interesting. I've been wondering, you know, for some time now, if there's any correlation to how active the leadership diversity and advisory committee is and if diversity is actually growing in that unit or if people are feeling more welcome, if psychological safety is growing in that in that unit, in that organization, that Coast Guard structure there. And there's I don't know that anyone's actually doing any research in that, but that truly would be the community of practice for that element there. And now in the Coast Guard, each unit is supposed to have one, but they're varying degrees of success. You know, some are very active, they're very integral in the unit. Some don't do much at all. And it just depends on the personalities and how much they're integrated. But I would wager to guess that the more integrated, the more active, the more instrumental they are in that command structure, that unit, that organization, the more that they're moving along diversity, equity, and inclusion. Because that's their purpose. That's their community of practice and the more they're getting involved. Now, that's just one example, but I would, my challenge for you this week is what's something you want to move along in your organization? Do you have a community of practice for it? Think about how you can create a community of practice, how you can work with the people around you to develop a community of practice. What's something you want to learn, not just have information about in your organization, and how can you build a group of people to develop a community of practice? Because that's where the real learning occurs. And that's how you can, at your level, begin to transform from a training organization to a learning organization. And once that starts to happen, people will talk. And you can start a grassroots movement at your organization in some capacity. Because not every organization is going to be fully on board, but you can start something at your level. All right. Any final thoughts to wrap us up today, Christine? I think um, we covered a lot. And I hope it was helpful and meaningful. So thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Well, I'm glad I could have you on today. I'm glad we could talk about something that just has been so wonderful, a part of my life, a part of our life. And I'm excited for us to continue to work on it and wrap it up and move on to the next phase of it and see where it takes us. 
And thanks all of you for joining us. And please provide comments, like the podcast, review it, share it with someone who might benefit and especially who might need to transition their organization from a training to a learning organization and build a community of practice so they can be edified and have a wonderful day.